Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikulskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. My guests are the co-authors, in fact, of the brand new book for children, Eyes That Weave the World's Wonders. It's Joanna Ho and Liz Kleinrock. They are out with this book. It's just a fantastic book. It's a companion to the New York Times bestseller, Eyes That Kiss in the Corners. And it's, uh, it's about a biracial adoption. I know I've way oversimplified it. So, Joanne, can you just give me the overview of the, the theme behind this book and uh, why you made it a children's book? Sure. This is a book about a Korean transracial adoptee, meaning she was adopted from Korea into a white family. And um, it's just such a beautiful book, and I'm so grateful that I was able to work on this with Liz Kleinrock, who is herself an adoptee, and this really is her story. So I'm going to pass it to her and let her talk a little bit more about what it means for her. Thank you. Well, thanks, Joanna. I know that that's so. Yes, just to clarify, I'm not biracial. I'm a transracial adoptee. So as Joanna said, within the context of adoption, that just means that an adoptee is of one race and then adopted into a family of another race. And this book really means a lot for the first reason, that it is really the story of me and my journey and my family. Um, But truly growing up, you know, we talk a lot in Kidslet about the importance of, you know, windows and mirrors as, you know, from the work of Dr. Rudine Sims-Bishop. And... Being a Korean transracial adoptee was not something that I ever saw really in books or TV or movies growing up. And I guess at a certain point, if you don't see yourself, you realize you have to write the book yourself. So I'm really, really excited and really proud to share this with the world. I'm really grateful that I got to partner with somebody like Joanna, who not only is my co-author, but is also a very dear friend. Well, Liz, I thought that was interesting because at the beginning of the book, you explained that you had never seen this particular type of story of transracial adoption adoptee before, and I don't think it's that uncommon to happen. I know even in our little neck of the woods here in Sioux City, Iowa, I see it, and so why do you think it took so long for this story to become art rather than just the reality of life for a lot of people? I think for a very long time, and yes, there are certainly some books out there about adoption, but if you take a look at who writes those books, they are very rarely adoptees. They are often the white parents of adoptees. They are often people who might know an adoptee or have an adoptee in their family, but very often the book is not written from the I perspective. In fact, I would even go further as to say that a lot of the books that I saw growing up, like the very limited availability, had some very problematic undertones around saviorism and gratitude, that adoptees should be so lucky that we were just this missing piece to complete someone else's family without also acknowledging the sadness and trauma and grief and loss that also comes along with adoption. What I... What I think I, I have the space for both. <laughs> the, the, jo- Joanna, the way that you, that you worked with Liz on this, obviously talented writer, but sometimes you can't always grasp the story if it's not your own story. And so what did you learn from working with Liz as far as the way the story should be structured, having not experienced transracial adoption yourself? Yeah, that's such a great question, and thank you for asking that. I just knew um, in the telling of this story, Liz was the only person who could really tell it. So we really went through this process where we talked a lot. I interviewed her a lot. I think it helps that I have been a huge Liz fan. She is a really well-known educator and anti-bias 
facilitator, and I've been following her online for years before I even became an author. So there's so much of her story that she so courageously shares already online, and so much of that I was learning from already. So I think that also played a part in filling out, you know, in addition to the interviews that we conducted and the time we were able to spend together and the friendship that really ultimately really, you know, I think was started, but strengthened and blossomed even more, learned so much just about, you know, her own journey, watched as she went on a search for her own birth parents this past summer while we were working on this book, and just, um, I think I'm always in awe of the courage it takes of the holes that she holds in her heart and um, the questions that may never be answered and the courageousness with which she, like, embarks on this search, knowing that the the answers might not be there for her, and um, doing it anyways, sharing the story um, in a space where, you know, people want more stories but might be critical of any story. And so it's just really, I feel really grateful to be able to walk this journey with her and learn so much just about being a human, not, not, not even, not, you know, not only about being an adoptee, but just about how to move in the world as someone with integrity and desire to create change. Liz, the book is written from a child's perspective. I understand that. You wrote it as an adult. And so the issues, especially uh, about the eyes, I love the symbolism of the eyes throughout the, that weaves throughout the entire story, but it was, is there something that, as you look back, your perspective is a lot different as an adult? And how did you capture a child's mind while writing it as an adult? Yeah, I'm actually, yeah go ahead. <laughs> No, 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 I was just going to say, I'm actually going to pass it to Liz. <laughs> yeah, it has definitely been a journey. I think when I was younger, like, like I previously mentioned, I did internalize a lot of the, you know, you should be grateful, you're so lucky, things could be so much worse for you. And when you receive a lot of messages like that, it makes you kind of, I guess, shrink. It makes you unwilling or uncomfortable to ask big questions around why was I given away by my birth family? What could have been? What happened? Like Joanna said, all of these really big unanswered questions and also having to kind of make peace with the fact that I might never know them no matter how badly I want to. What I really hope from this book is that child adoptees see themselves, know it's okay to ask those questions, know that it is very natural to have those wonderings and to be able to hold space for both, you know, the love that one might have for their adopted family while also holding space for the loss and that grief and that trauma, that both of those things can exist within us at the same time. And my hope also for parents of adopted kids is that this book can really be a launch pad to engage in some of those questions and answers together because I do think that some adopted parents out there have a lot of discomfort acknowledging the fact that they are not a child's biological parent, especially if they don't look like them. That acknowledging also the presence of birth parents can be really uncomfortable, too, and our book very directly pays tribute to my birth mother. And I really hope that these are just opportunities for people, you know, young and old, to engage in big questions where they might have not have had the, you know, the language to do so before. 
I'm chatting with Joanna Ho with Liz Kleinrock about their brand new book for children, Eyes That Weave the World's Wonders. And it's an illustrated book, and I, I say book for children, but I loved it as an adult as I, I read it myself. And Liz, something that I always wondered about is an adopted child. I know with the transracial adoption, it's sometimes quite obvious that you're adopted, but is it something that you would think about every day as a child or maybe even as an adult of your adoption? Or is at some point, does it just become such a, a natural part of your life that you don't even think about it anymore? It is something that I have thought about every day of my life up until today, and I'm sure I will tomorrow. When you are growing up with people that you see every day and you don't look the same and there are interactions you have with people out in the world, if it's people's questions or just even curious glances that you kind of learn, you know what those things mean. Um, and especially because I work in schools and, you know, there are a number of adopted students I've taught or students in foster care or who are raised by you know, adults who are not their biological parents. It's something that's very much at the front and center of who I am and how I move through this world. And while there have been challenges, I also really love my life right now, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Joanna, one of the things I love, I love the scene in the book, because a book for children is like a collection of different scenes as the way I read them, but I love the scene of the child fishing with her father, and that just caught me as such a, a remarkably unique experience that uh, a child experiences with her father. And so as you figured out which scenes to drop into this book to tell the story, how difficult was it to take one certain thought and mesh it into one scene so it worked as a children's book? Yeah, I love this. This is actually so, this is actually something I learned when I was following Liz, that she loves to fly fish, and she loves to fish, and she does it with her dad. And so it felt like something I wanted to include, um, and that we wanted to include in this book together, and it just worked out that, um, I, you know, I am not somebody who knows anything about fishing, but I think something that I wanted to convey from Liz's story and that we work together so hard to to convey is um, just this idea of what she has already shared that being adopted can be an adopted can be both really beautiful and really challenging and that sometimes um, there are conflicts with your adoptive parents or ways that they might not understand but that they um, you can work through that that despite those conflicts there is still a connection there and so that fishing scene specifically was one way in which we could show um, that aspect, that it's not all, as was said, just like gratitude and saviorism, but that there are challenges, and this was one way we could, in a way that was very, um, I think, approachable for kids, uh, you know, start to delve into and create space for the challenges that also exist you know, in that relationship. Over the years, I've spoken to novelists, and one of the things that has come out of speaking to writers is how difficult it is sometimes to write a 100,000-word manuscript and to have to edit it down to 80,000 words, say, or whatever it happens to be. I would think it's even more difficult to write a children's book and to try to edit it down, because you could probably make this a 200-page children's book, but nobody would ever read it. And so what's the editing process like for a children's book? Yeah, this is Joanna again. I think writing picture books is its own particular art form because you have to write a story with an emotional arc that has many layers of complexity, all of the things that Liz has already so beautifully shared with us. And you're exactly right. Capture that in 
four to six hundred words, but preferably towards the four hundred end because nobody wants to read a book a hundred times to their kids, you know, before bedtime if it's too long. And so I think that is just part of the economy of words that one learns in how to tell a story in a picture book form versus a middle grade novel or a young adult novel. I think that one reason the picture book form is so powerful, though, is, ex- is exactly because something you've already mentioned are the illustrations and the illustrations by Zhang Ho that go along with the text, I think, really help to add the w- and um, accentuate the layers that are in the text. They come to life. Through the art. In fact, Liz this morning just shared on her Instagram photos of her childhood that really match many of the the scenes in this book, and it's just such a powerful testament to art and text and how that's able to convey a real-life story in um, one particular art form. Maybe a question for both of you. I know, being on the radio, I have a certain listener in mind that I always think about. I don't really know who it is, but it's just a, a, a generic listener that I think of. I think a lot of artists do that when they write. Was there a particular person you had in mind or a particular type of person who you were writing towards, or was this written for yourselves? And this is Liz here. I'll say that something that's been very much at the forefront of my mind is something that one of my coworkers used to say, which was, try to be the person you needed when you were younger. And so for me, this book is very much what I wish I had as a child. And while obviously it is my family's story, I don't intend to speak for all adoptees, but I think Joanna and I have also heard a lot of feedback from other adoptees who echo that, that this is something that they wish they had. And for adoptees who have grown up without those resources, who are now, you know, growing their own families, having this anchor text to then explain their identity and journey to their own children is something so powerful and is a gift that I'm really proud to be able to share with other people. I had a question about the bird. bird. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think one thing I would add about the picture book form itself is that, um, as Liz mentioned, this is for her as a child and for other adoptees who are children, but also adoptees who as adults, are adults now, but never had a book like this. And so one thing about the form itself is that it can speak because of the layers to both the young audiences and to adult audiences and have them unpack or examine or, you know, just really reflect on their own journey in different spaces along the way. One of the, thing, the questions I had a picture, or a question about is the picture of the bird on the front cover. I thought it was so beautiful the way that that bird seemed to capture the theme of the book. Can you explain what thought process went into including the bird on the front cover? This is Joanna again. I would say that um, the, I feel like the bird is a representation of so many things, of like taking flight, of you know, finding yourself of freedom and liberation. And um, and I also would say this is really a nod to the illustrator because in the picture book process, we don't have a lot. We don't aren't giving input into the illustration. In fact, we're not part of that process at all. And so, so much of the beauty and the magic in the picture book is that the illustrator is able to capture the not only our words, but the many layered meanings behind it through the pictures. And so that bird is one example that she used to carry through 
that was just as beautiful and surprising to us, I think, when we first saw the book. Well, it's just an amazing book, and I know for a 400-word book, we've only scratched the surface of all the meaning that's contained in there. The book is Eyes That Weave the World's Wonders. It's a picture book by Joanna Ho with Liz Kleinrock and illustrated by Young Ho. The book's available everywhere. It's a great book to read to your children. Uh, Liz and Joanna, just a fantastic work, and I thank you for joining me to talk about it. Thank you so much for having us. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world.